Father, we give you thanks for the time we've had up here, the work that you've done, the work that you'll continue to do. It's not like you just stay here. I'm thankful that you're involved in every aspect of our lives. That I guess I just pray, and myself included, that we'd be attentive, attentive and give us the ability to discern your leading, and then give us this boldness and passion to live intentionally, not reactively but intentionally in obedience to you because you're worth it. And so I pray that you would convict and encourage us whatever is necessary to make us look like Jesus. God, have your way. We pray in Jesus' name. Everybody who agrees says, amen. All right, so the people of Israel have been, have been released. Egypt's pretty much been almost destroyed by the plagues. The hardness of Pharaoh's heart pretty much led to all of this, whether he hardened or God hardened. So God did what was necessary, and he freed his people, and all of a sudden, Pharaoh comes to this, under, he comes to this conclusion, like, what did I just do? I gave up our workforce, our slave force of hundreds of thousands of people, if not a couple million. What do we do? Like, we need to bring them back. Like, we need to get them back. And so he pretty much gets his whole army uh, and he gets 600 chariots and his army, and it's like, let's go after. He gets his own chariots to go after the people of Israel. You get to verse 10, and it says, When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. The people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Friends, I think it's kind of telling, and I think it's fitting. Guys, I've, done, I've been able to be part of camp ministry and getting to preach at camps for a long time. And it's awesome to watch what God does. And here's what happens. I feel like a lot of times people get a little bit skeptical because, well, that's just a camp high. And I don't land there anymore, and here's why. Think about it. For the last, what, two, two-ish days, you really haven't been on your phones. There hasn't been a lot of distractions. You've spent time in the Word. You've spent time in fellowship. You've, felt, you've spent time eating meals together. You've spent time worshiping Jesus through singing. We've spent time in the Word, looking at what it is that God says. Think about it. We just spent a couple days together doing that. Why do we think that all of a sudden, well, that's not really how it is until we get back to real life? What if we make real life like this, where we become... We could become people who are not driven by distractions. But we are going to hit those wilderness moments in our lives. It's just part of the journey. And a lot of times, I know that for me, over the years, I really struggle with when I hit those times where it just feels kind of dry. Like, where did God go? You've been there before? It's like you'll pray, but it's like, are you listening? Are you reading the word? It's not, you're not getting a lot out of it. You just have those wilderness moments. Or it's those really difficult times. Like you just think that like things just seem like they're unraveling. I remember still 16 years ago when my wife called me and told me about the doctor's appointment that she had, and no one told me to go with her. And she's there with my two-year-old and my one-month-old, and then she calls me to tell me that she was told that she has cancer. And then she's got to drive home with my boys, and I'm just going to go catch up. And I remember the wilderness. I hated it, but I would never trade it. 
I didn't like it. There's no point when I heard those words going, yeah, this is great. To God be the glory. That was not my first response. My first response was not, I'm going to consider this pure joy when I face trials of many kinds. That was not my first, my, my, my first response. My first response was, God, seriously, my whole life is about you and you're giving me the shaft. You been there? You're like, you actually said that? I did. I prayed that way. Oh, that wasn't polite. Yeah, but it was honest. Guys, which one do you think that God would prefer, honest and raw or polite and lying? If he already knows what you're thinking and feeling, and all of a sudden we just throw out these words because we're supposed to, rather than like looking into the Psalms and seeing these psalmists just crying out to God, or watching Jeremiah. Guys, you realize that Jeremiah's ministry, you know what it was? A prophet proclaiming the prophetic word of God for 50 years and not seeing one person repent. Everyone hating him, wanting him in jail, wanting him to die, and he stayed faithful. Can you imagine for 50 years not seeing any transformation but continual rebellion against God? Wouldn't you say that's a, wouldn't you say that's a wilderness moment? A season of wilderness, friends? You're going to hit it. So what I can tell you is this. I cannot tell you that if you follow Jesus, it just is the perfect day every day. Why? Because Jesus himself said, in this world you will have trouble. But then he says, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. What I can promise you is this. While you might not have the quote-unquote perfect day, how you define perfect, you will have God with you. But my challenge is this. Friends, don't retreat. Did you see what the people of Israel decided? I mean, they looked at Moses because now they're freaking out and the Egyptians are coming after him. They said, didn't we tell you? Just, just leave us alone. Leave us in Egypt so that we can be slaves to the Egyptian people. They wanted to go back to what they knew, what was comfortable, how they'd always lived, even though they were in slavery. For those of you that made a decision to surrender to Jesus last night, you gave him your life I want to make sure it's very clear. And then for all of us that maybe already know Christ, there should be this daily repentance from and turning toward Jesus. Repentance is this word that I feel like it's not used a whole lot anymore. The gospel, I think, has been dumbed down to something like this. This is the message that, a lot of people, that I hear a lot of times from a pulpit. Hey, God loves you. has a plan for your life. Who wants to accept Jesus? And I'm like, how is that the gospel? That's not the gospel. And of course, yes, I believe that God loves you, has a plan for your life, but then that's all that you say. You want to be forgiven? God loves you, has a plan for your life. Until we sit there and go, I've been rebellious against God. I've been turned away from him. Just looking and going, I hate you going this way. And then he calls me. He woos me into relationship with himself, calls me to know him. It's only through Jesus I then repent from. To repent means to turn away, to do a 180, to turn away from something and to go toward Jesus. And as you get home, my challenge is this. Don't retreat back to what you knew. Always move forward with where God's going. But Brian, what if it gets hard? It will. And that's why being, being involved in your school, I love the, guys, I've loved getting to sit in counselor meetings with your, with your teachers and the staff members and parents and older students who are now counselors to hear their heart for you. Guys, I've done this a long time. There's been some schools I'll sit and go, do you guys even like your job? 
Do you even like students? Do you like kids? Or is this just a paycheck? But I'm listening to these, honestly, blown away. And be involved in a church community. Notice I didn't say go to church. Guys, the word church, it's not a place and it's not an event. Sunday mornings is not church. The building is not church. The word ecclesia actually means this. It's a gathering of people brought together to fulfill a purpose. Dang, I almost went through the hole. It's a gathering of people brought together to fulfill a purpose. It has nothing to do with the building. It has nothing to do with the event. You don't go to church. You are the church. Friends, we are the community of followers of Jesus. So find the community. Be in a community. It's like if you don't have one, look to the kid next to you. If they're your friends, hey, are you part of a church community? And get involved. Get to know other students who love Jesus. Also get to know those who are older than you and have gone before you and get to know them by name and let them know you as well. All ages coming together for a purpose. The gathering of people, the gathering of God's people brought together to fulfill the purpose. Friends, the reason that God made us the church is so that we could walk through the wilderness together on mission to do what it is that God has called us to do, to go and make disciples, to baptize those disciples in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and to teach disciples how to obey. It has nothing to do with the place. It has everything to do with us, his church. He left us here for a purpose. May we not retreat back to what we've always known. May we always move forward with where it is that God is going. Verse 13, Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. I highlighted that in my Bible. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. In other words, like this is so beyond your ability. So just Take a break. Hold on. Watch this happen. Guys, when my, uh, when my kids were young and they're, I, I, I like watching little ones when they're just learning how to walk because they look like drunk monkeys. You know what I'm saying? It's like their arms are like this and they're just kind of going for it. And so, but then they'll start to play and they'll start to ride bikes. And they'll, they'll try to run and, and there, there'd be so many times they'd start to run and they would trip and they just kind of slide and you just kind of wait. You don't react super quick because maybe they'll be okay because if you react too much, then all of a sudden they just go nuts. And they could be fine. They'll stand up and you see, you see blood starting to come down their knee and you're like, don't look down, don't look down, don't look down. And they're like, oh, okay, okay. That's <gasps> all it takes. One little drop of blood and they think they're going to die. And so they start crying and freaking out. And so I, I get over there and I pick him up, and I'm like, I'm holding him like, are you okay? He's like, I want mom. I'm like, I hate that, and I'm just joking. And so I'm like, just hang in there, hold on. Listen, 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 listen. And so they start to slow down, and so I, I, I'd, I'd pull him in close, and I would say, can you hear me? Sometimes I'd whisper it, but then I feel like it sounds a little freaky. Can you hear me, little boy? <laughs> like, see, I don't, I don't want them to have nightmares, but it's like, <laughs> but, but I would. So I'd, I'd sit and go, shh, 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 can you hear me? And they're like, <laughs> You know that orangutan cry that we do, like when they're little, oh, 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 oh. Like we just start going crazy. So like, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> so, can you hear me? Shh, can you hear me? Uh, yeah. Are you okay? <gasps> yeah. Okay. And this is every time. I just put them down, turn them around, say, go play. Pat their diaper butt because it's sticking out so far. Boom. 
There they go again. <laughs> if they freak out about something, they come running. They're like, arms are up. And to me, it's not that big of a deal. Because things look different when you're one compared to when you're not. When I've gone through some life, I can look and go, this isn't a big deal. You see that little dog? Honestly, if it starts to bite at you, I'm just going to kick it. And I like dogs. Like, I'll take care of it. I got this. I can handle this. Then maybe for some of you, you need to hear God actually say this. Come here, come here, come here. What are you freaking out about? And you can be as completely honest as you want to be. And that God who measures the universe with the span of his hand, he looks at you and says, come here, come here. Give it to me. Then he'll turn around and he'll say, now go play. Because he's got it. Brian, it's been so hard. I know. I know, but God doesn't waste a hurt. And there's something that God's doing to grow you into the person that he wants you to be. Think about it. If God's whole job was to make sure we're as comfortable as possible by the time we get to heaven, he's really, he really sucks at his job. But his job is not to make, his goal is not to make me as comfortable as possible by the time that I meet him. His goal is to make me look as much like Christ by the time that I see Jesus. And there will be seasons of mountaintop experiences that are amazing, and there's going to be these valleys that we have to go through. And then there's these plains that just seem monotonous. The whole point is just learn to walk with Jesus. Learn to love him more than anything. Love Christ more than Christianity. For without Christ in Christianity, it's just another belief system. But this love affair, out of anything that can be the greatest commandment in all the Bible, when Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second one, it's like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. The whole fatty part of the Bible this first section, it's all summed up in those two things. You love God with everything you got. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. And then watch the next verse. The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? And it's weird. At no point did I see Moses cry to God. So there must have been a moment where Moses gives the speech. Guys, God's going to come through. Salvation's coming. Just be quiet. The Lord will fight for you. Okay. And he goes back on what the cry's going to happen. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? And God goes, why are you crying out to me? And then look at what God says. Tell the people of Israel to go forward. What's the problem? What's in front of the people of Israel? Anybody know? The Red Sea. Here comes God going, what's the big deal? I know there's this massive army behind you. And then there's this Red Sea in front of you. Watch what he says next. Just lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. Sure. Is that the first thing that comes to your mind? It's not like this has happened all the time. It's not like, Moses, this happens all, I've done this thousands of times. Just Moses had never seen this, nor I guarantee no point did he look at the Red Sea going, I could divide that. I could take that. But to God, he's going, just, let's play. Just pick up a stick. Got it. Point it at the sea. Got it. And tell it to move. I don't get it. Just tell it to move. Friends, I have this line that I, I, I remind our church community, I try to live by this to kind of bring me down out of the times of worry. Impossible is God's playground. 
When you sit and go, oh, this will never happen. Never is God's playground. Guys, we can sit there and go, I don't know, I don't know how this is going to come about or how is God going to come through? I don't know how to fix this. Think about it, guys. I do not believe that the scriptures teach this in any way, and, and we like to use this. I've heard so many Christians use this. God will never give you more than you can handle. That is not biblical. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul says, I was so overwhelmed to the point of death. But God did this that I might not rely upon myself, but on God who raises the dead. God will give us more than we can handle. Why? So we will go to the God who can handle it. He doesn't want us self-reliant. He wants us completely reliant. Why? Because we might just get the front row seat to see the miraculous happen because we're so reliant upon God. So can you imagine if, if you were Moses and God looked at you and said, just pick up a stick, got it. Walk up to the sea, okay, and tell it to move. Would you pause or would you say, got it? Do we have that much faith in what it is that God is able to do? Goes on. Lift up your hand to see and divide it that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I'll harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Verse 19. Then the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. Friends, God is leading you, and God has your back. He's with you in the whole time. He's with you in the whole process. At no point does he leave you. He won't forsake you. I pray that this is an encouragement for those of you you're going through something like, I don't know how this is gonna play out. Friends, God has already lived out your tomorrows. He's already lived it out. Friends, he is unfolding his plan. He's not wondering, what do I do next? He's unfolding it. He knows how he's gonna get you to the end. That he who began the good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Christ. What's that part at the end mean, until the day Christ? Either Jesus comes back or you see him face to face. Until that day, God will finish his work. He's committed to you no matter what. Do you believe it? Do you know it? And do you believe that he actually wants to be with you? Show of hands, ready? We'll start to land the plane. How many, how many of you believe without a shadow of a doubt that God loves you? Hands way up. Go charismatic, not Baptist, like way up there. Okay, now look around. Everyone believes it. Put it down. Some of you just woke up like, what the heck? Why are the hands up? <laughs> how, many, how many of you believe without a shadow of a doubt that God likes you? It's like, oh, oh, okay. What do you mean by like? Do you mean like or like, 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 like? Like, what do you mean by like? Guys, isn't this telling? We, we know he loves us, but he's just putting up with us. And you know what God called the people of Israel? This rebellious group of people, hard-nosed, stubborn. He said, these people are my treasured possession. Friends, I'm convinced when you know that God loves you and likes you, enjoys you, 
is enamored with you, is blown away by you, can be moved by seeing the way that you live by faith. When you start moving into that, you are his and he is yours. And there's nothing, at no point has he ever regretted calling you. When you know that, oh, everything changes. Everything. And so Moses stretched out his hand with the stick, divided the sea. God sent this wind to blow. It's got to be a heck of a wind to blow and make the, make the sea open. It says, the people of Israel walked across dry ground. And friends, the deepest part of the Red Sea is about a quarter, quarter of a mile deep. Don't you think it'd be just like God to make sure that's where they got to walk? Can you imagine? <laughs> it moves and Moses is like, come on. Who do you think might have gone first? I don't know. I picture a five-year-old just running. Because they're like, I got this. And they take off. And as they're running by, like, high-fiving dolphins, it's like, yeah. Everyone just keeps walking through, walking through, walking through. And what's God doing? God was before them, and God was holding the Egyptian army back. God's just like, hey, all you have to do is just be silent. I'm going to move a sea if I have to get you where I want you to be. Because you're his. Friends, think about it. He left heaven to come here to make you his. He took a cross and came back from the dead to make you his. And friends, that is the message that the world needs to hear. They need to hear the gospel. And church, that's why we've been left. Guys, I think we should be people who love the word. I mean, to be in the word. You want to hear God? It's like, I just, you want to know God's will? You got to be in his word. If you're not in his word, I don't know how you decipher his will. If you've never had anyone show you how to do it, grab a teacher, grab a parent, grab a youth pastor, somebody saying, hey, how do you spend time with God in the word? To pass on the faith, we need to know the faith. But we need to go make disciples. We have a society and a culture that is unraveling. In church, it's time to wake up. And it's time to move out into our neighborhoods. Friends, an old school preacher by the name of Charles Spurgeon said this, every Christian is a missionary or an imposter. It's not like the missionaries are the ones that get the passport to get to go to some other place because that's where they need to hear about the gospel, and they do. Where you live is your mission field. This is what I tell our church community. Your mission field starts in your zip code. Where you live is where God has placed you to make an impact for the cause of, for the cause of Christ, for the mission of the gospel. Jesus said, go make disciples. Baptize them, teach them to obey. And the very last thing he said was this. Oh, and I get this is big. Oh, but I will be with you. To the very end of the age, the God who spoke everything into existence, the one who knit you together in your mama's womb, the one who measures the universe with a span of his hand, the one who's all-powerful, all-knowing, nothing can hold him back, nothing can stop his will. That God says, I will be with you. Oh, it seems massive. Oh, it seems insurmountable. But you do your part. And make sure that people get to hear about Jesus. But do not lose the first commandment in the mission. Do it all out of this. Jesus, I want to be used by you to impact your world, this world for the gospel, all because I love you and you're worth it. You have to answer this question, is Jesus worth it? Is Jesus worth it? 
Because when it doesn't turn out the way that you thought it would, will you, st- will you keep walking or will you look and go, I want to go back to what I knew? Even if I'm in slavery to sin, I want to go back to what I knew. Is Jesus worth it even when things aren't making sense? Because I want to remind you, you are worth it to him. I don't remember if I said this, if I did or not. I think, oh, I've been speaking a little bit this summer, so... Did I bring up this idea of if Jesus were in heaven, would you be bummed? Did I talk about that? And I answered in the beginning, it's like, well, I'd still be okay if I got the stuff. And then God's had to do a lot of work in me to get, the stuff is bonus, but it's not the main thing. You know what heaven for me is? Just give me one room, two chairs. And I'll sit in one, and Jesus can sit in the other. Just take my chair away, and I'll just sit at his feet. We'll just hang. And then how sick would it be that I say, hey, can you just take me on a tour of the universe? And you, can you tell me about every star? That'll take a while. It's just him. I can tell you that after, I don't know, 30 years, Jesus is worth it. He's worth it. Friends, don't retreat back. Always move forward with the God who can split the sea if he has to to get you to where he wants you to be. Can I pray for us? Let's pray. Father, you were good. And you were great. And you're worth it. Jesus, you're worth it. Holy Spirit, thank you that you're with us. You're worth it. Thank you for the work that you've done. But Holy Spirit, now I pray that you would fill and anoint to us those of us who agree with this prayer, whether student or staff or faculty or parent or human-like staff, anoint us for your purpose of making disciples, of sharing the gospel and making disciples and seeing people come into relationship with you, passing from death into life. And may we start in our zip codes. Be faithful to what you called us to do, and forgive us for how lazy we've been over the decades. God, I thank you for this generation. I thank you for this younger generation that there may, maybe there's this stirring, move us, awaken us, embolden us, God, may we see revival break out, souls saved, lives transformed. God, we thank you. You bring us out of sin and you lead us into freedom. Thank you that you're with us. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone who agrees says, amen. Love you all more than you know.